Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. You know, it's a privilege uh, for me to be here today. I'm Paul Whittingstall. And I have the privilege to serve here as uh, one of the interim elders, along with Chris Diaz, who's also here. Uh, Chris, you want to just stand up real quick so people can see where you are and welcome him. And uh, we have the great privilege to to be a part of the team and serve um, as elders here. You know, one of the coolest things about all of this is, and I'm constantly reminded about this as an elder, Christ cares more for this church than we ever, ever could, right? And, and so we have the privilege. Here's what 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4 says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eager, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Um, Under shepherds are the elders of the church, uh, serving under the chief shepherd who is Jesus Christ. Uh, But as the elders, and from time to time this happens in this church, it's the first time I've ever had the privilege of doing it here, Uh, we want to give you a little family chat, a little update uh, to some of the things that are going on. And with the transitions that have gone on and interim elders in place, you don't see us every week. I I wish I could be here every week. And Chris Diaz wishes, but we have other churches that we're a part of and, and serving, and so we can't. But you need to know that we love what's going on here. We're thankful to God for what he's doing and uh, we meet just about every week and, uh, and spend time together in prayer, spend time together talking about what's happening here, spend time together seeking the Lord as to where he's leading. And I just want to tell you, we rejoice in what God is doing. And, uh, and so we're not here for a long time. We're not also here for a good time. We're here for a God time and uh, for him to work in us and lead us um, as we serve. Um, so what can I tell you? Um, what's been going on? And uh, as we've come in to be a part of a team to uh, lead the church, there's a whole list of things that you want to work on, and you can't do everything at one time. You have to start and work your way through things, and, and we just rejoice in the way that we've been able to do that and how the team has uh, been working and serving um, so well. I'm going to come back to them in a minute, but some of the things that we've been focused on as we serve together as a team is just bringing stability. There was a time of instability, and there needs to be a time of stability. And uh, for us to come and be able to help and be a sounding board and and to give some direction and all the rest is just a great, a great opportunity and uh, to stabilize, um, to care, to care. 
There's been a lot of hurt. There's always a lot of hurts. People are in the, in the foyer coming in and they have life hurts. And, and so this church has had a time where there's been a need for great care and uh, caring for the team, caring for leaders, caring for you as a church and how is that all happening? And so that's a priority for us as we meet together and talk about the church and where it's going. Are we doing our best? How are we caring for the body of Christ here? We're seeking to look and see what lessons have been learned. What, what are the things that we need to learn from all that we've been through? One of the things that I always talked about when I was on as the pastor in Markham was, what's the nugget? What's the nugget? There's always a lot of nuggets we need to learn. It's easy to look at how weird people are and how offside they might have been, but what, what's the thing for us? What's the nugget for us? And so we're learning what some of those are, and, and we're seeking to apply those and see those used in the church. And then another big part of this is uh, what does relational and biblical restoration look like at the right time, in the right way? Um, we haven't set aside all those things and go, that's all in the past. We're going to forget about it. There, there's relationships that we're trusting that God will restore. It'll take a miracle of God to do it, but he can do it because he is the giver of life and the giver of hope. And so trying to uh, figure out those things in the right time, in the right way, and we haven't lost sight of that as well. We're also uh, seeking to look forward. I love this church's passion for the city and what you seek to do to reach out into your community and into your city. It's not just all what happens inside the four walls here, but, but how is God using us to be salt and light out into our world? And we're seeking to see that move forward. And um, in doing that, looking at staffing and facility and all of those things, um, looking forward. And then one more, and this is a big one for us, and that's um, seeing the Lord raise up new elders. As I said, this isn't, this isn't our church where we're planning to be here for a long time. We're going to be here for as long as it takes, but for the time when God will raise up local elders here, and he is, I believe, doing that. We are working towards that, um, working on identifying who those men would be. What does the process look like? What's the curriculum to train them? And then all, all in God's time in his way. And so it's a privilege for us to serve, to serve you here at Toronto West, to serve with you in the body of Christ. And um, so I want to finish this part with some great big thank yous. Some great big thank yous. First of all, I want to thank you as a church for your prayers and for your faithfulness, uh, praying for the elders, praying for the staff, praying for the ministry. Um, we, you, this is the church, and, and your prayers are so important to what's happening here. And so I want to thank you for that and asking you to continue to do that and, and stand with us as we move forward. I want to thank the staff. Um, uh, Chris and I had the privilege to be here, I guess it's a couple of weeks ago now, and sit down and spend a half an hour or so with each of the staff and just kind of understand where they are, what they've been through, and how things are going for them. And it was just so helpful for us. But I walked out of there going, there's amazing people who are serving the Lord here, and very thankful for that, that staff, and also thankful for the key leaders, ministry leaders, small group leaders, people serving in youth, and all kinds of different ministries that are going on, and your faithfulness in that. And I'm just so thankful for that. There's always needs, right? A church never comes to the place where they don't need people serving, right? If the church is growing, it needs people serving. If the church is in decline, it needs people serving. It's just never going away. So you're always going to hear that. And so what's your role in that? And uh, But I'm thankful to God 
for so many of you who are uh, serving in that way. And then the other last group I would like to thank is the other elders that we serve with. Uh, Pastor Jason and Pastor Andrew and Pastor Daniel, they have been so responsive and teachable and helpful. And uh, they've made our job a lot easier. Um, Their openness, their desire to be open books before the Lord and what God is teaching. And and I'm just thankful. But that's what elders are, right? That's what they are anyways. But they are demonstrating that. You need to hear that from us. They are demonstrating that and we are so thankful. So what can you do? Well, you can continue to be faithful and you can pray for us. Pray for courage, pray for perseverance, pray for humility, and pray that we would lead with wisdom. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Um, The purpose of this church is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. May we continue to do that for the fame of our Savior, I came across this verse, I actually preached from this text, but Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the privilege to um, serve you here. Thank you for the work that you are doing in the lives of the people in your church And I pray, Father, that you would continue to work. We're not a perfect church. We're people being sanctified every day, growing up, needing to forgive one another, needing to restore one another, needing to love on each other. Teach us to do that well, Lord, that the world would see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in us. Would it start in us in this room and then used used by you, God, in the power of your spirit out into the community that the name of Jesus Christ, his fame would be lifted up for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I got to tell you, I can get wound up about that kind of stuff and uh, because God is working in his church and uh, so thankful for that. But now we're going to get into the word and I want you to get your Bibles out, open them up to Mark chapter eight. Um, first importance, first importance, we need a savior. First importance, We need a savior. We're going to take a look at that out of Mark chapter eight in just a moment. But let me ask you for, uh, let me ask you a question. I need some audience response here. How many of you have purchased something over the last, that doesn't matter, two years, had it delivered to your door from Wayfair? Hands up. If you've done that, come on, be honest. I should make you stand up actually. But yeah, there's a good number in the room, right? You've been, you got, you got, you got sucked in. You bought something from Wayfair, had it delivered to your door. What's their, what's their big line? Wayfair, you got just what I need, right? And then you go and buy something you don't really need. You buy something you want, right? Or you have the capacity to get it, but it's not really a need of that iPhone or, uh, or the uh, stuff for your house. Or we do this in all parts of our lives. So I don't want to just center out the Wayfair people. Like people go out and they buy cars that they really don't need, or they buy an iPhone that they really don't need, or they get stuff that they really don't need. And, and so that word need becomes a word that we throw around so easily in our, in our lives. Um, my grandkids, when that commercial comes on, they just, when they, Wayfair, you got just what I, and they just like throw out the word want, want, right? Instead of need. You need one thing, really. You need a savior. 
you need a savior. Now there are things that are okay to go after. It's, it's okay, we should be praying for. God has promised a roof over our head, clothing on our back, food to eat. We could argue we need those things. But even beyond that, we need a savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a look at that today out of Mark chapter 8. So would you stand again with me? I want to read God's word. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 31. And here's what it says. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He, he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Father God, we are going to look at your word now, a text where Jesus lays out some things very plainly for uh, his disciples to see, those who were with them to see. We're going to see responses to that. But Lord, at the end of the day, it comes back to what Jesus came for, and he wants them to understand why he's there. And Father, they didn't understand it clearly. One day they would but Father, we've seen, we know the rest of the story. So teach us, God, from your word. Oh God, give us ears to hear your word today. Give us minds to listen and comprehend. But then God, give us faith, faith, God, to believe and to live these things out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. Well, it's Palm Sunday. Uh, the, the picture of Palm Sunday, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We see the, the palm branches being laid down. The people are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, and the king, the king, the king. They were looking forward to a king who was coming. They were looking forward to a Messiah. But at that point, they're probably looking forward for someone who's going to come and conquer in Jerusalem and be the king, and their life is going to be better. But what Jesus is going to do is not fulfill what their expectation was. He's going to fulfill something that was far greater and far more necessary. Our text is not on the week of Holy Week. It's not on the week. This didn't happen in Jerusalem uh, as Jesus was coming into the city. This text happened about one year previous. So we see what's coming and, and we see him, Jesus, coming into the city and we understand what will come. Now, now we're going to stop and step back about one year and look at, sorry, that was me, and look at what Jesus was about to teach them. And in Luke chapter 8, it says, he began to teach. There's a shift in focus that happens here. Jesus, at this point in the book of Mark, starts to change the focus on his life for them to understand why he has really come. He's trying to fulfill what they needed to understand. And um, 
the shift talks about it's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. It's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. So I got four things I want us to see coming right out of the text today. Um, here's the first thing as Jesus began to teach. He begins to teach them about the clarity about the crucifixion. They had to understand about clarity about the crucifixion. Look in verse 31, it says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. Uh, that they were unprepared for what Jesus was about to teach them. They're, they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for one whose team they could be on. Maybe they could be the, you know, the minister of whatever, and that their life would become sweet and rosy and all the rest of it. And Jesus goes, it's not going to be like that. And he begins to teach them. Says, and, and he began to teach them. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Um, the, re- the messianic rule of God required that there would be an atonement for sin. And Jesus Christ was about to teach them that he was going to be that sacrifice. He was the one who was going to fulfill all that was required. The, the blood of bulls and goats does not accomplish without the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, so that's what he's coming to them with. And he starts out by saying that he must suffer. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. No, no, that's not. We want a life of ease. We want it to be sweet. We want to move forward. We want to see the Romans conquered. We want you to be our king. We, we don't want a suffering king. We don't want a suffering king. It's unbelievable to them. Unthinkable to them. The Messiah was supposed to be a symbol of strength, not a picture of weakness. And he begins to teach them that he must suffer. And they couldn't, they couldn't grasp it. They didn't understand it because it's not what they thought. It's not what they perceived. So much like our world today, when they think about Jesus Christ, it's not what they thought. It's not what they perceived. What Christ had to do for our salvation to be real is not what the world is looking for. It's not even what we were looking for, except through the power of God's spirit when he came and broke you and brought you to the place of understanding what Jesus did. He said, he must suffer He must suffer. He must be rejected. He began to teach them that the Son of Man suffering things and be rejected. And he was rejected. Um, Isaiah 53, 5 taught us about that. It says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Uh, Jesus is, is despised and he's rejected by the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they, they wrote him off and then eventually they wanted to put him to death. He's rejected by the religious leaders. He's rejected by his own family. They thought he was nuts. He was rejected by his own family. He was rejected by the world. The world world saw the work of Jesus Christ and overwhelmingly the world still continues to reject the work of Jesus Christ. He says he must suffer, he would be rejected and ultimately he was rejected by you and me. Ultimately he was rejected by you and me. No, No man seeks after God. No one wants Jesus Christ except by the power of God's Holy Spirit making dead man alive. Not one of us would have ever followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he would suffer. He would be rejected. Imagine, 
Imagine what they're thinking as they're sitting there and they're hearing this story. They want a king. They want the robes. They want the throne. They want, they want a life of ease. And, and, and their king is telling them, I'm going to be rejected. And I have to suffer. And I'll be killed. And be killed. And after three days, I will rise again. Jesus would die on a cross a gruesome and a brutal way to die. Not the way that a king gets treated. Not the way that we, the one you're looking to for hope is, is, is going to be your deliverer. When they took Jesus Christ and hung him on a cross, you, you didn't die when you hung on a cross because of for them, for him, the nails in your hands or the, the nails in your feet. You, you literally asphyxiated. You literally couldn't breathe as you're hanging there and the pressure on your arms, the pain and the agony would be so great for you. And so to gasp for breath because it's pushing you out and it's pulling on your chest to gasp for breath, you would push down with your feet that have nails through them so you could gasp for breath. Jesus did that for hour after hour after hour. No, no, not my Messiah. Not the king. That's, that's not what Messiahs do. That's not what kings do. That's, no, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did for us. You'll be killed and you will rise again. I'm so thankful that um, next weekend on Friday, we'll have a focus on, on Good Friday, on the suffering Savior. But the story doesn't end there, right? If it only ended there, it's all over and it's done. You're the, you're the dumbest people in the world for even being in this room if there's no Easter Sunday, right? If there's no resurrection from the dead, the work of Christ was nothing, but he rose again, proving who he was, proving what he said. It's the receipt in our hands of what Christ has done. And so he would come, he would suffer, he would be rejected, he would be killed, and he would rise again. And he did all of that so you and I could be restored in our relationship with God. So that you could have eternal life. You see, they were looking for the king who would come, who would satisfy them, who would give them just what they need, at least what they thought they needed. But Jesus Christ was giving them what they really needed, eternal life. In, in uh, Ephesians 2, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he made you alive in Jesus Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not of works so that no one could boast. So if you're here today and you're hearing the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, he did what he did so the wrath of God could be satisfied and we could have a relationship with God so that we could have eternal life with him. We could look forward to spending eternity with him in glory. And, and that's what Jesus Christ did for us. And you can't earn that. And you certainly don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We deserve separation from God. And Jesus Christ came that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. Okay, that'd be in a great spot for an amen. So let me run that back again and we'll try that again, okay? I can't even remember what I said. I just know that it ended with that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. Thank you. That was helpful to me. Okay, um, so how do we get that life? If you're a follower of Christ in the room, you understand 
By believing, by faith, by transferring your trust. I thought I do all these good things and God will be satisfied. No, you do all these things and, and God will say, that didn't do it. What I, what, what, I desired, what I demanded was the satisfaction for my wrath and that was only accomplished through Jesus Christ. So today, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you've been coming to this church for weeks and you've heard the gospel and you've heard the gospel and you've heard the gospel and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, this is the day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And be saved. Trust Jesus Christ. Not your works, not your hopes, not your dreams. All of their hopes and dreams, they're all being dashed in front of them. And yet what they really needed was a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. And so Jesus begins this teaching and he began to teach them and he gives them about clarity about the crucifixion, ultimately clarity about the gospel. But here's the second point. And it's the confrontation of pride and selfishness. Look at verses 32 and 33. And, and he said this plainly. And here we go. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I, I, I'm overwhelmed by this, right? I've read this so many times in my life. I'm going, like Peter lost his mind somewhere along the way here. And Jesus is teaching him. And Peter goes, no, 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 Jesus. Let me point this out to you. You got this wrong. And so he pulls him aside. You've ever been pulled aside by somebody who wants to speak some truth into your life? Well, it's a wonderful thing when they speak truth into your life. But Peter is so, no, the Messiah is going to be this. The Messiah is going to be this. And te Jesus, you're teaching us this. He pulls him aside and he goes, I got I to give this guy a bit of a tuning. Right? That's what's going on here. I got to give this guy, I got to give this Jesus. Like I know so much more than he does. He needs to be straightened out on a sum of these things. You see, Peter wanted a ruling king, not a suffering savior. Peter wanted, Peter wanted deliverance, not servanthood. Peter wanted human success, not failure. Peter had spoken truth many times before um, in, in verse 29, and he asked him, uh, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And in a matter of just a little bit of time, Peter goes from you're the Christ to, okay, let me fix this for you, Lord, because you got it wrong. How arrogant, how prideful, how misunderstanding of who, who Jesus really is. Um, a little bit of clarity to the text is found in Matthew 16, 17. It says, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. That thing that you have just said, that you are the Christ, like God revealed that to you. And now we come to just a couple of verses later in verses 32 to 35. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. What? We just went from, um, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, a Peter is now, his expectations aren't being fulfilled. His plan is not being fulfilled. And so Peter goes off on his own thing, listening to the lies of the world, listening to the king of lies in the world, listening to Satan. And he goes off on it. You've got it wrong, Jesus. 
And he says, get behind me, Satan. It's only Peter's thoughts and words that Jesus is talking about. He's not calling Peter Satan. He's just saying, what you are saying to me is not true. What you are saying to me is not found in the word. What you're saying to me is satanic. Get behind me. Get behind me. Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus complimented Peter, telling him that God revealed this to him. Jesus told him of his impending suffering, death, and resurrection. Peter feels that this isn't right and that he he believed he had heard from God. and, And Peter is rebuked by Jesus. What Peter said didn't line up with the scriptures. I wrote this down the other day. We can be sure that Peter was not aware um, that he spoke for Satan. Just as a moment before, he was not aware that he spoke for God. It's often much easier to be a tool of God or of the devil uh, than we want than we want to believe. Um, and so Peter, in his pride, is confronted. He pulls Jesus aside. He says, I'll fix you. I'll get this straight. And it's like, but isn't that like us? Like how many times has God made his will clear for you? And you're on, "Ah, I got a better plan. My plan will be better. My plan will bring a life of ease. My plan will bring a life of comfort. And God's like, that is not true. That is satanic. That is evil. Stop listening to the lies and listen to the truth of God's word. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things of the earth. So Jesus lays out clarity about the crucifixion. Then we see this confrontation of pride and selfishness. And take that into your own life. It's what do you want? You want your agenda more than you want what God's agenda is. I want a life of ease. I want a life of comfort. And God's like, that's not the way it's going to be. But I'll tell you what I have for you. I've got something far greater. I've gotten far, far greater. And then Jesus moves on to the call to discipleship. Look at verse 34 and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So you kind of have this... um, Toronto Raptors moment where you were winning and now the the other team has just scored like 10 points in a row and the coach is like, get, let's get in here. Let's get, let's get in here. We need to get some things straightened out here. We need, we need to get some things in a better order. We're not, we're not playing the game the way we should. We're not playing the game. Well, we need to get this. So he says he, he calls them. It's, this is his listen up moment. He brings the team in close to them. If anyone would come after me, if, 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 if I'm going to be your Messiah, if, if what I'm about to do is going to be what is for you, then, then, then let him. It says, let him. Um, he makes it clear to them that there's a decision that they have to make. Are they going to be followers of Jesus Christ? He says, come on in here, team. Come on in here. Listen up. Let's get close together. If you're going to be follow me, then you have to make a decision. 
You have to make a decision. You see, the gospel isn't all about a sweet Jesus who comes and pays a price, and then we all just get to jump on the let's go to heaven bandwagon. There's a call to discipleship that comes to every believer, every single person who trusts Jesus Christ. And Jesus is now about to lay that out for them, the call to discipleship. It's what a disciple will do. Jesus now proceeds to explain to his disciples that suffering wouldn't only be his destiny, but it would be their destiny as well. They were being called to suffer as well. Why? Well, because this world is not our home. Our, our, our citizenship isn't here. Our citizenship is in heaven. There's something far greater. But in this world, we are going to be rejected like Jesus was rejected. That people are going to think we're fools. They're calling him to discipleship. And, and, and Jesus says, let him deny himself. Deny himself is not the same as self-denial. A self-denial is when at seven o'clock tonight, when I'm a little bit hungry, I decide not to have another bowl of ice cream. A bowl of ice cream if my wife's around the house. Okay, um, that's self-denial. I, I don't need a bowl of ice cream. I'm going to choose not to have a bowl of ice cream. Um, that's, that's like, I choose not to do that. I, I choose, says, let a man deny himself. Denying yourself is when you give up who you are. It's that I am, I'm giving myself up for Jesus Christ. Let a man deny himself what I thought was the pathway, what I was going after. That's not what I'm going after anymore. I'm going after what Jesus wants for me, regardless of the cost. That's where my focus is going to be. It says, let him deny himself. Uh, Peter talked about this in 1 Peter 2. We don't have time to go to it right now, 11 and 12. Abstaining from fleshly lusts no longer living like the rest of the world in 1 Peter 4, 1 to 4. Uh, Paul talks about this in um, denying self-righteousness and finding his boast in Jesus Christ alone. Like Paul's a guy who goes, if anybody could ever stand up and go, look at me, it was him. He had all the right education. He had all the right credentials. He had it all. He goes, no, 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 my boast, my boast is in Jesus Christ. That's denying yourself. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. Let him take up his cross. The cross wasn't about religious ceremonies or traditions or symbols or spiritual feelings. Uh, people wear crosses. I don't wear a cross. I'm not against people who wear a cross. I just don't do it um, because it can, be, it can become something that it shouldn't become. It's not just a symbol. It can't be an idol. If you wear a cross, I'm not, I'm not ranting on you right now. God bless you. Every time you look down and see it, rejoice in your salvation in Jesus Christ, right? I'm okay with that. But it says in the text, let him take up his cross. Let him take up his cross. It wasn't some just little, little thing around his neck. And, just, and now we go along feeling good and, you know, um, Taking up a cross meant something to them. They understood how despicable that was. Just saying those words would leave a bad taste in people's mouths. They'd be like, that is so gross. That is so ignorant. You're asking me to take up my cross. Yes, yes, yes. Take up your cross. I take up your cross. Um, taking up your cross was a picture of death row, as it were. Um, walk down death row daily and follow me, dying to self let him deny himself, 
take up his cross. Lord Jesus Christ, what you have done for me in my salvation is so awesome. I want to take up my cross. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever you call me to, if it, if it means I lose my job, if it means I lose my best friend, if it means I, I, I whatever, I'm going to do that because Christ, what you've done is so much greater. What you've given is so awesome. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Luther said this, every Christian monk, excuse me, every Christian must do somewhat more than those monks that made themselves a wooden cross and carried them around on their back continually, making all the world to laugh at them. Like these guys would make a big cross and carry it around, the world just laughing, you guys are idiots. You, you, you don't even understand what's going on. Don't be like that. But taking up the cross of Jesus Christ, taking up the, the, the pathway of what God could call us to in suffering for the glory of Jesus Christ. You're like, I don't know if I could do it. I don't, I don't know if I could. I don't know if suffering came, I could do it. Well, you can't right now because you don't need the grace for that right now. I remember I had a, a, a prof in, in Bible college and seminary and, and one day, so we all, we all looked up to him. He was a godly, godly man. And he said, if, if, if that kind of a struggle, if that kind of pressure, if that kind of, could I stand? He said, I can't stand. I couldn't stand. And we're all like, my goodness, well, if you can't stand, the rest of us don't have a hope. And then he said this, but if it ever comes, then God will give the grace and God will give the mercy and God will give the capacity and God will give us a vision for glory so that we can, so that we can. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Even when you're ridiculed, even when you're reviled, even when you're reproached, one another our word, and even in the days that we are rejoicing. First um, Peter 4.16 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. And so this week, if you're called in some small way to suffer for Jesus Christ, give glory to God in that name. It's like, I know, but I could lose my job or I could lose my best friend or I could be. What's coming is so much greater. What Jesus Christ has accomplished has accomplished so much more for us. Take up your cross. And then he says, and follow me. And follow me. Be like me. Do what I say. Walk in my footsteps, even at, even if there's a great cost. First Peter 2 says this, for, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was a deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Well, the last C word is consider the implications. This is a big so what. I like so what's in scripture. Like what, what's this going to do? What, what, what am I being called to? And so Jesus, as he's teaching through all this, he, he comes to the implications. 
Um, The first implication is when winning is losing. Look at uh, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. The word life is used twice. The first time life is used in that sentence, it's aiming more towards the life that we have on this earth. He He who would save his life will lose it. The second one is aimed more towards eternity, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel, he will will save it. Um, The idea of losing has two meanings as well. There's what the loss would be in this world, you lose your life. But then there's the implications in the second life, uh, the second part um, of, of what we're losing eternally if we don't understand the work of Jesus Christ and become followers of him in in faithfulness, serve him. He, verse 35, he who would save his life, if this world means more to you, if this world is what you're all about, you will lose your life. Eternally, you will lose your life. Physically, you will lose your life. Eternally, you will lose your life. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will lose it. Christ offers us something in him that is so awesome in his coming and being our Savior, our Messiah. Look at implication number two in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Wayfair, we got just what you need, right? No. You gain the whole world and you lose your soul. It's so this world focused when we think like that. And Christ is offering us so much more. And so the implication of of giving of ourselves and yielding of ourselves and letting go. Look at verse 37. But what can a man give in return for his soul? What's the price of your soul? What's the price of eternal life for you? Uh, and maybe for you, it's fame. Maybe it's like being in the limelight. Maybe maybe it's fortune. Maybe it's, I, I want to have all these things. I want to get everything I can. I want to have it all because I want to be in this world. I, I, I read a, 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 a quote the other day. It talked about if you're 60 years old, which I'm 63, okay? You have lived 1% of the, ter- of, of the time from Adam until today. 1%. It's like, well, this... I thought there was more than that. No, like, I, I'm, I'm in the 1%, not the rich 1%, the 1%, right? And uh, so what can you gain and what can you hold on to and what, what's it going to do for you if you're gathering all of these things and you live your life, how long can you hold on to it? 1%, maybe 1.5% and then it's gone and then it's over. And if we're after fame and if we're after fortune, if I'm after power, if I'm after what pleasure brings... What does it, what can a man give in return for his soul? Well, you take the things of the world and reject the things of Jesus Christ and you will, you will take those things at the price of your soul. And the last verse says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, to him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. 
Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of our Savior. Don't be ashamed of the one who suffered for you and paid the price and and did what was necessary to accomplish your salvation. Don't be ashamed of him. Take hold of the work of Jesus Christ. Take hold of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Take hold. John the Baptist said, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Nicodemus said, a teacher who comes from God. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. John said, faithful witnesses, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Paul said, blessed, the blessed and only King of kings and the Lord of hosts. Don't be ashamed of our Savior. Don't be ashamed of the one who died for you. But live for his fame and live for his glory. Um, He is the one with the authority. He is the one with the authority. He has the word of God, the spirit to fill us each day, the words for eternal life, the words by which mankind will be judged, the words by which we enjoy fellowship with him. He has the words that give peace in a troubled world. I won't be ashamed of my Savior, Jesus. Jesus brings them together and he begins to teach them. He begins to teach them things they really didn't want to hear. But he began to teach them the things that they needed to hear. They needed to hear that was of first importance for them was they needed a savior. And Jesus Christ accomplished what God required so that you could have a savior. Is he your savior today? If he is not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Ask the person who brought you today, what's he talking about? How can I know Jesus Christ? Or talk to one of the people in a green shirt or talk to one of us as elders. We'd love to show you from God's word how you can know the savior because what you need today is not a new couch. What you need today is a savior. In church, we have a Savior. We have a Savior. When it's hard, you have a Savior. When you feel like giving up, you have a Savior. When, when you think, oh, it's just so difficult, it's just so difficult. Remember, what's coming and is all prepared for you is so much better. Why? Because we have a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is coming again in glory, and those who follow Him You'll rebel against the world. You'll rebel against the flesh. You'll rebel against the devil. And you will share in the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of Jesus. I can't even imagine what my response would have been had I been standing there when he began to teach them that he was going to have to suffer and he was going to be rejected, and then he would hang on a cross. I can't imagine how I would have responded. I probably would have responded like Peter. I probably would have been thinking like, no, 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 Lord, we, we want a life of ease. We don't want this. We don't want you want this for you. But God, you began to teach. And then, Lord, a year later, 
you fulfilled all the things you said. You, you, you destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. You died, you were buried, you rose again. You died being the sacrifice for our sin. You rose again, proving who you were. And Lord, by faith in you alone, our hope for eternal life is set. In the power of your spirit, you will lead us, you will walk with us, and you will guide us through whatever we have to go through. So we trust you, Lord, and ask God you would continue to work for your fame, for your glory, in my life, in our lives, in the lives of your church. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.